2: I wish we had a policy in this country that uh, once your presidency was over, uh, you had to go away and never be heard from again. I would be willing to do that. I mean, look, I'd be willing to do that after Trump left office if it would keep... How about this? Once you run for president and lose, you can never be heard from again. That would spare us. Hillary Clinton. I don't care to hear from Mitt Romney. Do you? Uh... Once you serve as president, you can leave and never be heard from again. I'd be fine if I didn't have to hear from Trump. And I'd certainly be fine if I didn't have to hear from Barack Obama, who was on the David Axelrod podcast, one of his henchmen, talking about Tim Scott and Tim Scott having the nerve to craft an optimistic campaign for president of the United States.
0: I think there is a long history of African-American or other minority candidates within the Republican Party who will validate America and say, everything's great and we can all make it. Nikki Haley, I think, has a similar Mm -hmm. approach. I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I am maybe suggesting that the rhetoric of can't we all get along, that has to be undergirded with an honest accounting of our past and our present. Okay, where to start? Can't we
2: all get along? Does anybody know where that came from? That was Rodney King, who was beaten by L.A. cops, who had every reason to voice retribution toward the cops. Rodney King, a black man in L.A., realized that it would be A much better way to quell racial violence and the riots in L.A. by not coming out with a vengeful attitude for the injustice that was done him, but to come out with a conciliatory, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace-filled response. It was Rodney King, a black man, who said, can't we all get along? Now, my memory may be a little fuzzy on this part. But Barack Obama is criticizing Tim Scott for being too optimistic about America. Barack Obama's campaign slogan when he was elected the first time was, what again? Oh, that's right. Hope and change. Hope and change. Not just change, change not change and hope. Hope and change. Inherent in hope and change is that we have hope so we can make change. Had it been reversed, which is decidedly the opinion he's voicing now, you would have had to change to get hope. But that's not the way he crafted his campaign in 2008. It was, we have hope, therefore we can change. And we did change. We elected the nation's first black president. We elected him again. He had a black attorney general. Two of them. Okay? We now have a black vice president. She's a bubblehead, but she is black. So I'm just saying Barack Obama has done more to rekindle racial strife in America than anyone. In the new millennium, this nonsense argument that continues to be stoked, hot coals that continue to be blown on and stirred and inflamed are almost exclusively driven by Barack Obama's thin-skinned inability to process criticism of his administration on its merits. You could not criticize a policy of Barack Obama, particularly in his second term, without being labeled a racist. It has given rise to the overwhelming Democratic tactic of every single time they are criticized on policy, they revert to name-calling, labeling, and invectives. Every single time. They cannot defend their policies and results. They cannot defend their policies on logic. They cannot defend their policies other than to what aboutism it and say, oh, pay no attention to the fact that this policy is a disaster and inflation is crazy and our energy independence has been shot and we can't, we have no respect on the international stage and poverty, though we have spent tens of trillions of dollars on it. Since the Great Society in the 1960s, and if you ever want to know the true motivation behind Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, look up the Lyndon Johnson quote about the allegiance that Democrats giving inner-city black families welfare, what it would inspire in terms of voting loyalty from the black community. In the exact words of Lyndon Johnson, I can't repeat it on the air or I would never be on the air again. But that's a Democratic president, the same party that started the Ku Klux Klan. And Barack Obama has the nerve, the temerity to position it as if Tim Scott taking a position of hope for America, Tim Scott who grew up in a single-parent home in poverty, is somehow wrong to say that the same kind of things he has accomplished in his life is available through the system that we've established of equal opportunity and this, that, and the other. I mean, I'm just, I'm so done with Barack Obama and his acolytes.
0: Wouldn't Tim Scott be the epitome of hope and change?
2: Tim Scott or Clarence Thomas, the two black men who are most often lumped into, you know, the invective from the left. (sighs) (laughs) Barack Obama... I gotta really fight to resist the feelings that that man elicits in my worst side of my personality. Okay, shifting gears briefly. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, let me let me. uh, I don't need to speak for Tim Scott. I don't need to uh, defend Tim Scott. Let one of his best friends, Trey Gowdy, do it for me.
3: I am stunned at how uh, little Barack Obama knows about Tim Scott. Uh, And I'm also stunned at at what little effort he made when he was in Washington for five years to change that. If he knew anything at all about Tim Scott, he would know Tim Scott starts with education. I mean, if you wanna do something about poverty in this country, then give people access to a quality education. That's the number one issue for Tim Scott. Follow that up with criminal justice reform. And by the way, he took plenty of arrows. I mean, that is not a Republican talking point. No one at the grocery store stops Republican candidates and says, I wish you would talk more about criminal justice reform. But Tim Scott did. Opportunity zones. And and the thing that just, I do know him pretty well. I know he drove a man to, to, to the polling place to vote for Barack Obama for president the first time. He 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 drove a black man, an older black man that, that he knew was not going to vote the same way he was going to vote for president. Uh, but he at least honored that man enough to say we can have different visions on how we want to get to the North Star. And I just think it's a damn shame that Barack Obama can't show the same grace and the same respect to Tim Scott that Tim Scott showed to him.
2: Yeah, by the way, what Trey didn't mention there is that the black man that Tim Scott drove to the polls to vote for Barack Obama was Tim Scott's grandfather. So he took his grandfather to vote, and Tim Scott tells that story of, I don't think his grandfather could read. And he went in and showed his grandfather the box that he needed to check to vote for Barack Obama, to color in. And he said at the time, and again, Tim Scott's voting for John McCain in that election. He said at the time, Grandfather, did you ever think you would see the day where you could vote for a black man for president of the United States? So Tim Scott could understand the cultural significance of Barack Obama running for president and unfortunately being elected president of the United States twice. But Barack Obama can't step out of his partisan hackery long enough to view Tim Scott's authentic American story, growing up in poverty, single parent home. He had every single thing stacked against him to rise to the position held by only 99 other people in this country, U.S. Senator, and then to have enough support from black and white America that he can run a presidential campaign. A New York Post reporter got to shout a question at Joe Biden yesterday, and it may be a little hard to hear, but uh, train your ear to pay attention here and see if you can uh, make out what the question is. If you can't, I'll tell you later. But I think you'll be able to make out Biden's response. Here we go. Why did, the Ukraine why did the Ukraine whistleblower refer to you as the big guy in the 1023 report? And Biden says, why did you ask such a dumb question? Now, a lot of people thought the president's response was uh, intemperate, uh, not benefiting, uh, not befitting, rather, of his office, uh, Trey Gowdy uh, had a, I thought, pretty, pretty on-target explanation as to why Biden thinks that's a dumb question.
3: I think what he meant by dumb is, uh, I control the Department of Justice. Do you really think my son or I am going to be indicted while I'm the president? So if you look at it that way, yeah, I guess it is a dumb question. I'm never going to let my attorney general I, I'm going to let the statute of limitations run out this fall on, on that gun case. By the way, if you can't make a lying and buying case in five years, then you don't need a driver's license, much less be a law enforcement officer. Those are really easy cases to make. So I guess what he's getting at is is you are dumb to think that my Department of Justice, the one that indicted Jeff Fortenberry, the one that is indicted Donald Trump, is going to indict Hunter Biden. You are dumb to think that.
2: Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Hunter Biden lied on a federal form when he said he was not under the influence of any drugs and never been a drug addict, bought a weapon, and then that weapon was later disposed of in a dumpster, by one of Hunter Biden's hmm, conquests, because Hunter Biden was so coked out, the woman who he was with thought he was a danger to have a gun. She disposed of it in a dumpster next to a school. But in five years, soon, the statute of limitations will expire, and Hunter Biden will not be liable for that crime. Trey Gowdy's a former federal prosecutor, he would know. How difficult or easy, in this case, it is to make a case, as he said, of lying and buying. Now, as I said earlier, Tucker Carlson posted a 13-minute video on Twitter the other night talking about the Fox News producer who labeled Joe Biden a wannabe dictator. It led to the Fox News producer resigning and the Fox News producer being bounced from a job that he had held for 10 years But when you really think about Joe Biden's history, and when you really compare it to what dictators do, is Joe Biden really just a wannabe
1: dictator? The main reason you know Joe Biden is not a wannabe dictator is because he just does not fit the profile as a man. Dictators have that look. You know one when you see one. Dictators build cults of personality around themselves, and they use those cults to deny the glaringly obvious. In his later years, to name just one example, North Korean dictator Kim Il-sung developed an enormous baseball-sized tumor on the back of his neck. It was huge. It was grotesque. It was right there. You couldn't ignore it. You couldn't possibly not see it. But in North Korea, state media did ignore it. They pretended it didn't exist. And so, in some important sense, it didn't. If a tumor grows on a neck, but no one acknowledges it, is it really there? Thankfully, nothing like that is happening in our country or ever will. If Joe Biden ever developed some profound physical or medical problem that was obvious to everybody, journalists would say something. This is not North Korea. We don't have state media here. If Joe Biden was say, incapable of completing a full sentence or mistook his sister for his wife, or suddenly started falling down in public for no reason, the New York Times would report on that and then get to the bottom of what was actually happening. That would be its duty in a free country like ours. It's not like they would cover it up. And by the way, if Joe Biden was a wannabe dictator, he'd have the family to match. All dictators do. Saddam Hussein had Uday and Kuse. They were princelings who lived above the law, indulging their most decadent fantasies with total confidence. They would be never held to account by the police. As the sons of a dictator, they knew they could do exactly what they wanted. And so that's what they did. There's no one like that around Joe Biden. He doesn't have weird sex scandals at the heart of his family that no one in the media will ever talk about. He doesn't have a 'er ne'er-do-well former nightclub-owning brother who's made a living for 30 years by being related to him. Not at all. That's dictator stuff. (laughs) Joe Biden doesn't award ridiculous inflated titles to his relatives that the media are then required to take seriously. He doesn't call people doctor who didn't go to medical school and then force you to nod along like it's real when everyone knows it isn't. Nikolai Ceausescu did that with his wife Elena. Joe Biden would never do that. Nor does Joe Biden dress like a dictator. He doesn't do photo ops and mirrored sunglasses driving a sports car to convince you that he isn't frail and senile, but instead powerful, virile and wise. That's just not his style. If he was a dictator, Biden's speeches would look like Nuremberg rallies. A blood red backdrop, armed soldiers by his side, screaming about crushing his eternal enemies. Honestly, Biden did come close to that one time last September at a speech in Philadelphia. But it wasn't in any sense dictatory dictatory. It was necessary. As MSNBC assured us at the time, quote, Biden aimed to showcase his faith in the military apparatus and its ability to back the democratic order. See, it was about democracy, not dictatorship. No cause for alarm. He is not a dictator.
2: Feel better now? I do. I mean, that is funny, scary. Most of all that is accurate. When you add up all the things that Joe Biden gets away with, all the things that he has done, all the things that fade into oblivion because there is always one more thing stacked on top of it that we are told to, look the other way, pay no attention, this doesn't mean anything. Trump! Over there! Trump! or Trump! Feel like the frog in the pot now the temperature getting hotter? I mean, I thought that was among the best things I've ever heard Tucker Carlson say, because it reminded me of when I used to do sports radio in Cleveland. And the Browns, as you know if you are a Browns fan, are an ever-escalating collection of ineptitude. And I said to my producer one day, I said, you know, we really need to keep a calendar of Browns dysfunction. Because something will happen in week two that by the time we get to week four, there will be something else that will cause us to totally forget what happened in week two. And by the time we get to week eight, we will forget what happened in weeks two, four, five, six, and seven. And all of them, if evaluated in totality, would give a much better picture of how dysfunctional and inept this franchise is As opposed to just examining the singular issue before us at the time. The same exact thing is true of Joe Biden. He didn't even mention Joe Biden taking a selfie on the White House lawn with a dude bearing his fake breast implants. He didn't even mention Joe Biden being shepherded away from a ticklish situation that his own addled brain got him into. When the Easter Bunny came to his rescue, like the list of things that Joe Biden has done to show how dictator-ish he is, is long and unfortunately endless because the comedy of errors
0: will continue.